It's uh, such a privilege to be able to stand up here this morning and be able to share with you what I believe God's put in my heart um, over the last week or two in preparing uh, for this message. And if you've been away over the last couple of weeks, as Craig mentioned, we've been doing a series on the parables. And um, I don't know about you, but I've found such a challenge in each of the messages between Craig and Killian um, in my own life. And I just love the Bible, how you can read the same thing over and over again. And like every single time you read it, it just speaks to you in a different way. It's such a powerful thing. And, um, you know, thank you so much to Craig and Killian for the last couple of weeks. Craig preached on the Sower, Killian preached on um, the lost son. And uh, I'm hoping that what I have to share with you today challenges you as well. Um, it's a it's an interesting passage, uh, and to be honest, when Craig asked if I'd do this, it was the first passage that popped into my mind, and because I, I don't really feel like it's a, <laughs> I don't think it's a passage many of us enjoy reading and taking on board and really working through, because it really has that ability to expose something in our hearts that we probably don't want to deal with. Um, so... <clears throat> um, and I think as well, just to mention, like, what an incredible teacher Jesus was. You know, in my pre preparation, I think Craig mentioned this in his, in his sermon, where he went a little bit on about the amazing teacher and storyteller that Jesus was. And in my preparation for this, I was just, again, blown away at, you know, what biblical scholars and even secular scholars, the guys on the other side of the table can't compare anyone to the level that Jesus was at and his ability to convey a message with meaning and depth and context the way that he did to believers, to non-believers, to guys standing around listening. It challenges everyone to the utmost core, whoever hears it. In fact, I listened to this one guy and he's like, you know, it's like, it's like lining up on a 100-meter dash for the start of a 100-meter dash. And, you know, the guy who comes first, you know, he gets his tag. But, and then the guy walks up to the guy second. He's like, listen, we've got to give second place to someone, you know. So, well done. You came second. But the guy who came, I think it was Alexander the Great in terms of his teaching, stories, parables, whatever it might be, he's not even close to what Jesus was able to do. And what blows me away is it's as impactful today as it was when it was written. We are still seeing lives changed through the same stories in so many different ways in the context of our world as it was in the world when it was written and previously. And I think that speaks immensely about this book. You know, we. I think because we live in Zim, it's so easy to take it for granted, the fact that we have access to this. In some places, people don't have access to this. We can freely pick this up and read it whenever we want, and you know, we should not be taking it for granted. There's so much power in the message of what comes from these texts. And um, moving on from there, we should read it, hey, and actually like get into the <laughs> get into the message. But um, <coughs> the, the so the passage that I chose for today is uh, the Vineyard Workers. Some of you might be familiar with it. 
And um, yeah, like I mentioned, it was something that popped into my mind when I was asked, and it's been in my heart ever since. But it's quite a difficult passage to go through um, and really take on board and work through. And I can tell you now, I I mentioned (laughs) the title of this talk is Generosity and Mercy Undeserved, but that was not my reaction um, when I read it. And, but in processing it and going through these texts, such an amazing thing happened, uh, in my heart because of what it exposed and things that I had to deal with. So before we, before we get into the actual text, I want to try and set up the story so that everyone is on the same page and we understand the, the meanings and context behind some of the things we're going to be looking at. And we're going to start with some of the characters. So the first character that we're going to look at is the landowner. And the landowner is the, I guess, the hero of the story. Um, He is the one who displays this undeserved mercy, this undeserved grace, um, in a context of a world that it really doesn't make sense to do. Um, He shows mercy upon those who don't deserve it and really is the depiction of the essence of God's character in this story. Um, So really powerful role in the story that Jesus tells. The second character or theme is the marketplace. And the marketplace is the world in which we live. So with all the struggles, uncertainties, turmoils, the shortly briefed ups, the seemingly long downs, depending who you are, um, the world is known as the marketplace. <clears throat> and um, the marketplace, the next slide we're going to look at the workers, but the marketplace was known as the hustle and bustle. People like these workers would go into the workplace, marketplace, and try and look for an opportunity to get work so that they could make ends meet. It was usually where guys did not have secure jobs. Maybe they weren't skilled, maybe they didn't have the right abilities, but they would go anyway and hope that they would get chosen to do work so that they could provide for their family. The next slide is the workers. And um, yeah, so these are, would be known as Christians or believers in the faith, but at differing spiritual maturity levels. Um, whether they're new to the faith or are mature in the faith, these guys are known as um, Christians or believers that go out into the kingdom of heaven and do God's work, which brings us on to the vineyard. So in the vineyard, the vineyard is known as as the kingdom of heaven, and we'll get into this a little bit. Um, It's also known as the spiritual realm in which God reigns over, Uh, It is also the fulfillment of God's will on earth. And I love this one. It's a representation of the activity of the kingdom in this world. Um, And meaning that it's the evidence of God's love, his mercy, and his power um, in the world that we live. We get to experience and operate in this kingdom of heaven. And... The kingdom of heaven, I think it's important to understand the value of what it is. And um, we see Jesus mentioning the kingdom of heaven throughout the New Testament, well, throughout the Gospels, especially in the parables, and how valuable 
it, this kingdom of heaven is to attain. There's nothing else that can compare to it, and we should strive to achieve this. In Matthew 13, verse 44, just as an example, he tells a, par- he tells a story about a, I think it is a parable, he tells a story about there's a treasure in a field, and a man comes and finds the treasure. He then goes and sells everything he has to buy the field so that he can have the treasure. In the next verse, it talks about the pearl and how this guy, this man finds a pearl and he says, Shish, I need that. He goes and sells everything he has so that he can have the pearl. And it's just this creates this sense throughout the Gospels of this unrivaled value that's worth more than any sacrifice that we could make to acquire it. Um, so obviously very, very important, the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then lastly, just to give some cultural and contextual perspective, um, in the, back then in, in the Jewish calendar, uh, well actually even today I've been to Israel, it's amazing how they operate, they're just so efficient, but you know, a working day is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And you'll see in the text, some of your versions might have the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour. Um, but it's referring to actual time, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, 3, 5 p.m., and obviously end of day. And this would have had incredible meaning and importance in the Jewish culture because in order to get the message across, they had to value something that they could understand like time and what that meant for their own well-being and their deserved work. The second thing is a denarius. And uh, a denarius in those days is what it looks like. Um, We almost got one of those when we went to Israel, but they're quite expensive to have now. But um, um, it was basically in those days known as a good day's wage. It was fair. Uh, At that point in time in history, the Romans were kind of in the area, occupying the area, and the tax system of the Romans was known to be as high as 60% of income. And a denarius, yeah, we got it easy, Um, a denarius would cover the daily needs of the individual and possibly their family, but it would also satisfy the tax system. In fact, a denarius was also what the Roman soldiers were getting paid per day. And these guys were highly skilled, highly trained, super efficient warriors with a very high-risk job. So it gives us the idea that a denarius for these guys working in the marketplace was actually a very fair and a very good wage. And having said that, let's read. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices or whatever, you can turn to Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. If you don't, it's fine. It's on the screen. And the story goes something like this. Well, not something. It does go like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning... He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. He went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. 
He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with those who are hired last and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more for their full days of work. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only for an hour they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Did your pay, take your pay, oof, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first shall be last. Now, when I read that, I was like, yep, that's it, amen. Got really deserved, it's all good. No, <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? These guys work an entire day. It's so counter what we believe in our current world within the context with that we live. And as Craig has mentioned a few times in his messages, we operate in the kingdom of heaven, but it's this upside down world in which we operate in, where we make less of ourselves in order to make more of God's will and purpose within the kingdom and the role that we play in that. And... Um, It's just such an amazing picture of God's divine generosity and undeserved mercy that he shows all of us. And um, and in preparing for this, there's many things that I think I could speak about. And we're gone. There we go. Next one. Shot. So we have this beautiful picture of God's generosity and undeserved mercy. And of all the things that would probably jump out of the page at you, there are two things that I wanted to highlight in terms of how I believe this affects us as believers. And really they're so intertwined and related to one another as it is. I just wanted to try and put it into sort of bite-sized chunks that we can all sort of grasp. But the first thing is that it exposes the condition of our heart. And the second thing is that it really puts forward a challenge to those who are already believers, already those who are in the faith, but also just an incredible sense of hope to those who are not yet saved, to those who are not yet believers. Um, 
Some of you may know people who you would just love to come to church. You would love them to accept Christ as their Savior. Um, and it's a, an encouraging message for you to just don't give up. Um, don't give up. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the first thing uh, that I'm going to go into is that the, it exposes our hearts. And uh, thanks, Kenyon. Next slide. There we go. Cool. And I think in order for us to truly understand how this exposes our hearts is we need to take a step back to chapter 19 because Jesus sets up this parable so amazingly. Uh, well, it does get set up so amazingly. Um, and in verses 16 to 30, we have a story of Jesus talking to a, a, a young rich man. And I'm going to paraphrase this just to get through it. But basically, there's a young rich man that comes up to Jesus and he said, I'm all in. I want it all. I want to be close to you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. What do I have to do to, to, to be able to have eternal life? And, and Jesus just says, well, firstly, um, you've got to obey the commandments. And this guy responds and says, okay, um, what are they? And he goes through them. You know, love, your, love God, love your neighbor, don't steal, don't, you know, do all the bad things. And he replies to Jesus and he says, I've done these. What else can I do to be in better relationship with, you, with, with Christ and have eternal life? Jesus turns around and says, well, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the reaction to that was he left feeling very sad. Jesus then goes on to say, Truly I say to you that it is more difficult for a rich man to enter heaven as it is a camel to go through the eye of the needle. An important context there. It's not a literal camel going through a literal eye of the needle. Um, my wife and I had the privilege of going to Israel, as I think I've mentioned, and we saw what they call the eye of the needle in Israel on the side of the old Jerusalem walls. What it was was a safety measure where the camel would walk up as if, it want, it was, as if they wanted to enter the city after hours and in order for safety and security, they would have to take everything off the camel and squeeze it through this little crack in the wall so that it could get into the holy city. And that's the picture that Jesus is trying to say. We cannot take the things that we have in this world into the next. And... Um, the importance and coming back again to the value of the kingdom of heaven so outweighs. I mean, you think of our life, like Craig was praying into earlier, just that it's just that drop in the ocean compared to what's to come. And I don't know, that's a lot of drops. <laughs> you know, when you think about the life that we have on this earth compared to what's to come. Um, and in response to this, this interaction with this young man, the disciples now speak up. And this is kind of where I find it. We start to see that exposure in our own hearts. The disciples turn to Jesus and they say, how then can we be saved? Jesus tells them that only with God is it possible. Only with God is it possible. And Peter, in verse 27, comes out and says, you know, well, we've given everything to follow you. 
I mean, we've left our, we've left our families, we've left our jobs, we've left, left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? And Jesus then goes on to say this beautiful story about how the kingdom of heaven, one day when we pass from this life to the next, there will be treasures stored up in heaven for those who've had to make those tough choices, make those sacrifices in order for us to have a heart that God can use in this life and um, for, the, for his kingdom and his purpose. And um, you can just kind of get a picture of Peter you know, kind of wrestling with this, saying, Sheesh, if we're going to give up so much here, you know, and these guys all have what they have, is there something for us in the long run? And there's also another point to this, which I'll get into later. But I think it, what it did for me is it just exposed that issue of, of, of jealousy, really. And at the end of that, at that passage, he mentions how, they were envious because he was generous. And I think so many times in our own lives, we have instances whether it's, I always tease my friend John O'Miller because like whenever we go fishing, so I use him as an example. But you know, it's like we go out fishing on a long weekend together. He wakes up at three, which I never do, to go fishing all day till it gets dark, which I never do. Still catch more fish than him. Um, I don't know if he's here. Good, I'm gonna carry on. Um, <coughs> But he works the entire time to try and get that fish. Then on the last day, just before we go home, I decide to throw a rod in and I catch a fish. He's going to be pretty upset about that. Likewise, and I guess a more meaningful, meaningful, more truer, I guess, would be, you know, if there's someone here who struggles with, if there's single people here and you're longing to get married, Lord, bring me a husband, bring me a wife. You've kept yourself pure. You've yearned for the things that he yearns for. And everyone else around you seems to get married. Maybe people that don't have the same value system as you. Maybe people that are not as morally, I know it sounds a little bit egotistical, but, but you know what I mean. It's going to hurt. Um, those of you, maybe, maybe you don't have a job. And, Lord, I would just love to have some work. Lord, please bring some work. You spend the time getting the skills. You spend the time seeking God for what he wants to do in your life. And then someone that you know with less skill, who spent less time or doesn't need the job, gets the job. And it hurts. And you think, sheesh, why is, why is this happening? Maybe it's financial. Maybe you've been trusting the Lord to bless your finances, give you an abundant finance, or not even abundance, but just like, can we just meet, make daily needs can we just get to the, our daily needs? And you tithe. And you tithe more than you tithe less. You give to the poor. Yet the people that don't do those things, the people that squander their money, are the ones living in abundance and have all the financial blessing, or whatever it might be. And jealousy, we need to really be careful of these things um, and careful how this can expose the type of reaction that we might get. Because jealousy can lead to envy, and very quickly envy can re lead to resentment. And when resentment takes a hold, usually we as human beings got a point at someone to take the blame. And more often than not, and I know there have been times in my life where I've been like God, and we get this resentment towards God, 
and now he's shut off from being able to work in our lives when it's got nothing to do with that he's already done everything for us we have the privilege of the gift of eternal life upon accepting him um, and we should be we should be um, in gratitude towards that we should not measure our worth in whatever capacity by comparing it with the accomplishments and sacrifices of others but should focus on serving him with a heart of gratitude in response to God's grace and mercy that he has on us he does not owe us anything he's already completed his work it's also important to note that Jesus does not deny as I've mentioned before he speaks about this that there are different levels or stages of heavenly riches um, and you can go and read about this as well in in first Corinthians three fourteen to 15 but it's affirming but it is affirming that God's generosity is more abundant than anyone could expect and in this story in this parable all the laborers got more than what they deserved um, and also a cultural perspective at the time maybe they next one sorry there we go and then a cultural perspective of the time which actually which brings up my next point is it was a warning to long-standing believers for so many years generations even centuries you've got God's chosen people and now Jesus comes along and says no kingdom of heaven is for everyone eternal life is for everyone i am for everyone now you've got the guys who've been serving god their entire life going hang on wait a minute we've been through this you know, i mean remember the desert remember the you know the plagues remember the you know all the tough stuff and you know jericho and you know so all of that and now it's for everyone yes um and that brings me on to my second my second point which is a challenge to those who have heard and also hope for those who haven't and really I think the the answer to this next slide thanks Gideon the answer to this is the same for both groups God is so merciful in who he is and through what he has done that mercy is for everyone but you got to ask for it it's got to be able to flow through you and don't abuse it um, you know, as, as Christ followers, um, it can be a real, real challenge in this world. And you hear so many stories. I heard a story, um, it was a while back. I hope I don't butcher it. But basically there was 15 guys who were Nazis and they were put in jail and they were about to be tried for war crimes because they were found to be responsible for millions of deaths in World War II. And there was a pastor that went and spoke to them and 13 of them on death row gave their lives to God. You know, they've lived this life of carnage and destruction and heartbreak and caused so much pain, yet they can still get eternal life. And I think in the context of how we operate, that seems so counterintuitive. No, they, they should be punished. They should be, yes, there's consequences on earth for what we do. But surely guys like that don't achieve eternal life. But if we looked at the story of Jesus on the cross, there was that thief next to him. And in his last moments, he cried out as well. 
He said, Jesus, remember me in the next life. And Jesus responds and says, surely I tell you that today we will be together in, in heaven. And it's such a beautiful thing. But it also gives those who don't know and those who you know who don't know God incredible hope of being able to hopefully bring them into this, this light. Um, and, uh, and yeah, <clears throat> so we need to ask for mercy. It's always available and we need that to be able to flow through us to other people. But also what's very important is that we should not abuse it. Um, when I was researching for this, there was this old guy, David Pawson, and I was listening to him talk about it, and it's actually a really good thing. It's the vineyard workers, David Pawson. And he talks about how, you know, this, this abuse of, for those who know and understand the gospel message, it's like, okay, no problem. I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. And then just before I die, I'll be like, Lord, I surrender, you know. Um, but the picture that he paints is, Imagine walking down the side of a river, you're walking there and you see a guy in the, in the river drowning and you take off your jacket, you take off your shoes, maybe you don't, maybe he's underwater and you just got to jump in. You jump in, you grab him, you pull him out and he's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much, you saved my life, that's just, that's just amazing, you know. Um, I thought I was going to drown, I thought I was tickets, thank you. And then he turns around and hops back in the river. And now you're again trying to take him off your jacket again. You jump in and you grab him and you pull him out and you're like, hey man, what's going on? He says, oh, thank you so much. You know, you saved my life. It's just amazing. And yeah, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And then he turns around and hops back in the river, you know. And I think when we're asking for mercy, what's the condition of your heart when you are doing that? Because you can't come before God and say, Lord, I need your mercy, but I need to... But I, like this thing in my life, I still want to do that. And I still, you know, I don't think I can let that go. This sin is, you know, it's part of me. But, but I, I need mercy and I need grace. You know, and it really comes down to having a true heart of repentance. You really got to... Oh dear. You really got to... <laughs> oh dear. You really need that true heart of repentance. And the best way that I can explain this... Yo, I'm going to go quick, sorry. The best way that I can explain this is that you're sorry enough to not do it again. Sorry enough to not do it again. And I think that's where we'll really see um, God moving in our lives and that mercy and grace truly displayed. In closing, <clears throat> um, I'm sure we can all understand that as we walk on earth, we'll never be truly free of sin. As hard as we may try, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But with God's gracious move into our lives comes a certain empowerment that we can operate in. And through the love displayed by Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, which allows us to progressively, or in some cases, maybe immediately escape from sin. Um, in some cases. The grace of God was never meant to be a license for us to abuse His character, laws, or other people. Instead, it is an empowerment to experience change from glory to glory as we continue to walk with Christ. And then I've just got a few verses. Hello. That's the one. I'm not going to read these, but just a few verses that you can write down, you can go home and work through. But Galatians 5.22 verse 23 says that there's got to be fruit in our lives. If we are serving Christ, we've surrendered our life to Christ, 
What's the fruit of that look like? Ephesians 2 verses 10 says that we are God's workmanship created for good works um, and that we should walk in these things. We should leave behind the things that we've stayed in. 2 Timothy 2.15-16, present yourself approved with no need to be ashamed or we will lead people into more ungodliness. John 14.26, a call out to say that God's spirit is there to help us. Titus 2.11-12, God's grace brings salvation as well as training for us to renounce worldly passions, to live right and self-controlled lives. And my favorite in this context, Romans 6, 1-2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So we cannot think that, yes, you will enter heaven by accepting Christ into your heart and living a good life and, and well, by God's grace and mercy. But so much better to have that security knowing that, Lord, I'm living surrendered for you and guaranteeing your spot in heaven one day. And uh, God's grace is so bountiful and plentiful. Um, and um, seven things that I will now close on. And I got huge points as well under them. I'm joking. Uh, next, next slide, Kilian. Thanks. Cool. Seven things to, to take out of this. What I would like you to take out of this is God doesn't owe us anything. Like the landowner did not have to hire these men at the end of the day, or he didn't even have to hire these men. Um, but it was by his grace, mercy, and compassion that led him to hiring them. In the same way, God doesn't owe us anything. The second thing is God has already given me more than what I deserve. A, des a denarius was the same pay as highly skilled professionals of the day were paying to give them their daily needs and satisfy the tax system in that time. It was a good and fair pay. Um, God has already settled the debt for us and paid the price for you and I to spend eternal life with him. He's already done enough. The third thing is God's blessings are not contingent upon our work but upon his goodness. We cannot earn God's goodness. We can't earn God's blessing and favor, but he chooses to do these things because he is good. The fourth thing is never look down on the 5 p.m. workers, as the story went with the Nazi, the Nazi guys. Um, there's still a place for them, and we should rejoice when they come to Christ. The fifth thing is, when we get our eyes off of our blessings and start coveting what other people have, resentment towards God begins to sink in. Um, we start to focus, not on the blessings that God has given us, but start resenting God because of the things we don't have. We feel that God really owes us something instead of realizing that His grace is what brought us into the vineyard in the first place. Um, <clears throat> and through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The sixth thing, we should not always look to what we can get, look for what we can give. The landowner knew he wasn't going to get anything out of these guys who he hired, hired in the last hour. Yet his grace and mercy was sufficient enough to still go out and pursue these guys and say, come, you know. Um, and the last thing is be thankful that God has given you more time to work for him we should make the most of this time on this earth working within this kingdom of heaven to you know bring god's will 
to those around us, to be a light to those around us, bring people into the kingdom. Um, it's such an incredible privilege. And one day when we pass from this life onto the next, God adjusts the scales, as it says in Scripture, and we will get our just reward for the work that we do in this life. And, um, and also, the last thing, I guess, would be, yeah, don't wait for that 11th hour. Um, start now. Um, whether you're exploring faith, whether you're new to the faith, keep going, pre- keep pressing in, keep going deeper. He's always there. His mercies are bountiful. And uh, yeah, cool. Thank you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Sorry, 15 minutes over. Jeez. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the service. And I just thank you for everyone here this morning. Lord, I pray that um, as people leave here, that you would challenge their hearts in, in these areas where there might be conflict or uncertainty or just a working through, Lord. Lord, soften their hearts um, to accept your truth and to be able to live it, Father. And Lord, I just pray as they go out into the week that you would bless each and every one of them um, with an amazing week and just with such incredible encounters with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.